morning. It is Tuesday, June 9th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at KOPN.org and on our Facebook page. Today is another day where we have so much to talk about we could probably use a couple of hours. A few topics on the docket, asymptomatic spread, coronavirus transmission and wastewater, smart thermometers and other health technologies like Fitbits that link to a mobile app and could aid in illness forecasting and tracking the virus, and even a little bit more if you can believe it. Here to help us dive a little deeper into these headlines is Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Mallory. I'm just going to say that I didn't know what we were going to talk about today, and then I uh, saw on my social media face, uh, uh, feed, I'm telling you, I have some of the smartest um, uh, friends who they were asking about what about these conflicting messages about asymptomatic spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, two articles that seemed to be hitting the news on the same day said, oh, it's most of our spread. And then, oh, no, it's very rare. And how are we supposed to integrate all of this? And so I thought, well, there we go. We have a topic. So we're going to as much as we can in a small amount of time this morning, we're going to um, I'm going to see if I can share what what makes sense to me. But before we get into that, um, uh, worldwide, uh, seven, th- 7 million uh, documented cases of COVID-19 uh, with um, 409,000 uh, deaths and uh, almost 3.5 million people recovering. The United States, uh, 2 million uh, cases, 113,000 deaths and uh, 774,000 people recovering. Um from Matthew Holloway, who we're going to, I'm going to have to figure out another way to get some of this data because Matthew's wife is about to have a baby, and so we're going to maybe have a little gap in this, but the baby has not been born yet, so we still know from Matthew that there are 15,335 cases in Missouri um, and 839 deaths in Boone County uh, after a week of mass testing where I have heard that it was over 2,000 tests that we did. We're up to 193 cases. So these are uh, more increases than we're typically uh, used to seeing in Boone County. Uh, But I'll have to say that it looks like the mass testing numbers are being um, included in that. And that is actually pretty reassuring to me. But we still don't know how many people in the county have it, but we we think 193 people have um, had documented COVID and uh, two deaths. Um, yeah, so what about asymptomatic spread? Oh, and then like on top of, so we have the COVID pandemic, we have, um, uh, uh, um, financial, um, disruption, we have, um, unrest and, uh, protests and rallies about police violence. And then I didn't even realize that Sunday night, a hurricane um, came ashore on the southern coast of Louisiana, and I'm sure that that is another challenge that is affecting people of color more than white people. And I don't know if you've looked, that um, that tropical storm is now moving through Missouri and is headed up to the Great Lakes, which I have not witnessed before in my living in Missouri, a tropical storm coming directly through. We've had a lot of rain effect, 
but to have the storm actually track through and I don't know whether that's a difference in the way we're tracking weather or naming it or if it's actually a new phenomenon. So anyway, what about asymptomatic cases? So asymptomatic means you don't have symptoms. And symptoms are the signs that our body gives us that we're not feeling well. So that feeling like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if I'm coming down with something. I don't, I don't feel so good. Um, oh man, now I really don't feel good. That's called malaise. Um, oh, now I'm achy. That's called myalgias, muscle pain. Then there's fever, um, and in no particular order, cough, shortness of breath, maybe some intestinal symptoms like nausea or vomiting or diarrhea, maybe some abdominal pain maybe some changes in the perception of smell and taste. And all of those would be considered symptoms. And an asymptomatic person, which means a person without symptoms, is the way I hope that you're feeling and the way I'm feeling today, and that is I feel great. If you'd ask me if I have any um, indications in my body that I'm, that I'm ill, the answer is no, I feel good. And so I am an asymptomatic person. Um, and we are discovering that people can um, test positive for uh, COVID, uh, SARS-CoV uh, RNA in their noses and have no symptoms. Now, some people are what we call pre-symptomatic. That is, they feel good today, but they are not going to feel good tomorrow or the next day. But you can't know that in the moment. So in the moment, they feel good. And... Um, so we have these two two things of am I a, is a person without symptoms just never going to get symptoms, or are they about to get symptoms and they just don't know it yet? And when we're when we're gathering data and we're only contacting people one time, we are not going to know. We aren't going to be able to distinguish between asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic. We're just calling all those people asymptomatic. In that moment, they had no symptoms. And um, the question is, can they transmit the virus? And the answer is probably. And then the next question is, how much of virus transmission is from people who don't have symptoms? And, um, and that is important for contact tracing in a lot of ways. Like, okay, so if I could transmit the virus before I felt bad, but I did end up feeling bad, and now I've gotten, I felt bad, I called my doctor, or I went through the testing thing, I got my nose swab, they called me and said it was positive, so I have the COVID messenger RNA in my nose, um, and I call the health department, and I say, oh, it turns out that I feel bad, and I'm testing positive. Then they are going to want to know who I've been in contact with, and do we go back to the days when I was feeling good, and how far back? And that's the big question. We don't quite know. I think right now we're they're going back seven days, um, but I think we're you know we're trying to go back far enough that we won't miss anybody. Um, and then like oh, but what if I just tested positive because I thought that it was a good thing to do, or I had surgery scheduled, or I was about to have a baby and I had a, a predictable reason to go in the hospital, and those people are getting swabbed or. My workplace had a bunch of um, positive tests, so now we're testing everybody. What do we do with the people who who never had any symptoms but tested positive? So there are two um, recent reports that are, have come out that are confusing people. And um, 
One of them is uh, published in the Annals of Internal Medicine and uh, published on June 3rd, so recently, and it's a narrative review of um, several stories of what they're calling cohorts. We would call them outbreaks or hotspots. So the largest cohort was in Iceland where they just said, hey, everybody come to Reykjavik, which is their capital city. And um, anybody who wants to can get um, uh, tested, and we'd love for all of you to get tested. And they tested 13,000 people between the ages of 20 and 70 years, and um, 43% of the people who tested positive had no symptoms at the time of testing. They did not follow them up. The next one was an interesting thing was, was in Vo, Italy, um, at the beginning and end of a 14-day lockdown proposed by, uh, posed by authorities, they um, tested um, basically the whole city, and then and then they um, they did it on one day, and then they they locked everybody down. And they did it 14 days later, and um, uh, um, between uh, around 40% of those people had no symptoms at the time, and um, None of the, in the two, roughly two-week period between the sampling efforts, none of the asymptomatic persons developed any symptoms of COVID-19. So, and then they looked at experiences on the Diamond Princess um, cruise ship at a Boston homeless center, uh, New York City obstetric patients, the Teddy Roosevelt, various other places. And what they noticed was that in, in the one nursing home they looked at in King County, many more um, so they had 63% were asymptomatic, and after a median of four days of follow-up, 89% of the asymptomatic persons developed symptoms. So there seems to be maybe an age discrepancy or a, a comorbidities and illness discrepancy that people who are older and sicker may be more likely to be to develop symptoms sometime. So that's that first study that people are seeing on social media is that 40 to 60% of people uh, who are testing positive for COVID-19 or for SARS-CoV-2 messenger RNA in their noses don't have symptoms. So that feels scary. Like, whoa, everybody out there, no, you know, we don't know where all the cases are. Yeah, we got to be concerned. So then the next study, which was very interesting, it was a statement from the World Health Organization, and they, I am not seeing where they actually published their data but this is what they're saying is we have a number of reports from countries who are doing very detailed contact tracing. They are following asymptomatic cases and they're following contacts and they're not finding secondary transmission onward. It's very rare. So this is good news if we can validate it. And that is that it's fairly common that people will get this, have this virus in their nose and not get sick. Maybe half of the people who get it don't get sick from it. This is great news. It's really great news if the, their risk of transmitting is really low while they don't have symptoms. So now they did not publish their data, and there are many people who have strong opinions about the World Health Organization. But I will say that the World Health Organization is where many of our top epidemiologists are working, so they continue to employ um, thoughtful people who know how to look at this data and ask the questions like, yeah, but did you do this? So um, 
So what they're saying is that, well, like when we're looking at public health, that we have two questions. One is what is possible? Like, is it possible for somebody to spread with symptoms? Yes, probably. But then the question is, where is most of the transmission going? Like, where should we focus our efforts? And it's possible that if we just keep people with symptoms out of group settings, we might really reduce the spread of this illness. So I'm hopeful. Did I cover that uh, adequately, Mallory? Did I leave out something that you have questions about? I think you you explained it really well. Um, I do have kind of a basic question, and you you mentioned Uh it a little bit, but why are, in the world of infectious diseases and viruses, why are some people asymptomatic and some people aren't? Is it along the lines of health and age and the state of your immune system? Or is it a lot more complicated than just more healthy people are asymptomatic and folks who have compromised immune system are more likely to develop symptoms? So this is a, um, this is a really rich area of a lot of um, study, not as much study as I wish, and, um, but mainly a lot of pondering. And it all it goes all the way back to Louis Pasteur and uh, uh, Dr. Koch in the early days of discovering that germs cause disease. And um, there was this debate about how important it was that you got exposed to the germ and that you got enough of the germ and that the germ landed in the right places and the characteristics of the germ. And other people were saying, no, it's about the, the characteristics of the host. You know, did you take your vitamin C? Did you get enough sleep? Are your wife ready to go? Are you somebody whose immune system is a little out of balance and it's going to overreact and make you very sick? And so there's this story that Louis Pasteur always believed it was about the, the germ, and on his deathbed, he said, oh, no, it turns out it's the patient. It's the, um, the host. Hmm. So we are still trying to figure that out. And I don't have an answer, but I am taking my vitamin D, and I'm trying to get outside every day, and I'm exercising. I'm trying to limit my exposure to alcohol, sugar, and flour and the other highly processed foods. Um, and I'm taking some other supplements and, you know, because I'm hoping that that's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm cultivating a cheerful confidence that, when and if I'm exposed, that my body will be one of the ones that does it well. And if it does not, and what I'm going to do is leave my body during this virus, that I can do that in a loving and um, effective way. So that's what I'm doing so that I'm minimizing my fear and stress hormones. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so we don't know yet. Um, and there's also some little things like why aren't kids getting it? And it's maybe because they don't express the ACE uh, receptor on their um, cells as much, and smokers ex- express more ACE receptors, and that's how the virus gets in. So it's, yeah, from a macro to a micro level. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit uh, about another topic you shared with me about Fitbits and smartwatches and, and um, yeah. all that kind of stuff, collecting data that might help um, track what's going on in our communities? 
Exactly. So this, I think, is related. And I think I didn't share with you on the email about why it's, how it's related, but I'll try to see if I can do it now. If the primary spreaders are people with symptoms or people who are going to develop symptoms, are there ways that we can begin to identify who those are, who those people are, um, when they have mild symptoms? So, for example, it's spring and summer right here in Missouri, and a lot of people have respiratory allergies. If they develop a little bit of a dry cough and maybe they don't feel great, is it their allergies kicking up or is this the first day of COVID symptoms? So we are, and then is there a way to, I think one of the questions people have is like, how, how many people in my community are out there spreading it now? Like how likely is it if I sit in a restaurant, I'm going to be sitting downwind from somebody who is spreading this disease? And, um, and then how do I decide whether to send my kids to school or, you know, um, go back to work or whatever? These are the decisions people are trying to make. And I think that knowing how much community spread was happening in your community might be helpful. And so one of the things that people are looking at is apparently there are thermometers that um, are called smart thermometers and they report to a, an app on a smartphone. And the question is, is there some way to anonymously get that data into a database so that nobody would know what your temperature was, Mallory, but we would know whether there was a, how many people in, in Boone County have a slight temperature elevation today. And we'd probably have some sense about on the baseline, you know, you know, one out of a thousand people has a fever um, but if all of a sudden that that number doubles or triples or multiplies by 10, then, oh, maybe we should be looking at that. So it's trying to get anonymized mass congregate data about a community to see whether that was a place to be concerned about, um, whether we should be changing our behavior. So there's smart thermometers. Then, then many of us wear Fitbits or, or rings or Apple watches that monitor <clears throat> our pulse, our respiratory rates, our activity level, and um, sometimes they measure our sleep. And so there are thoughts about trying to, again, collect it, collect this data in a place where it's anonymous, but we'd see whether uh, more people were sleeping more hours, had higher res respiratory rates, higher pulse rates. Um, the device that I wear measures my temperature, and I'm actually participating in a study through the UCSF about healthcare workers who wear this particular device. Um, and every day I log in and tell them I don't do or don't have symptoms and um, that kind of thing. And so the thought is that if we could watch that on a community level, we might be able to predict um, when something was happening that was unusual and whether that was influenza or another coronavirus, that it might be helpful to then say, you know what, we're going to really encourage people who are sick to stay home. Hmm. And the third way is that there are ways to apparently measure how much coronavirus RNA is in the sewage sludge that comes out of sewers in a particular place. And that might give us an idea about, in general, how much of this is in the community. And these are creative and clever ways to try to help us predict, um, to know a little bit more real time. We might not, you know, like it's a big investment to, to swab 2,000 people in, at Hickman High School last week. 
but we still only sampled 2,000 people, and there's you know 150,000 people in Columbia and many more people in Boone County and surrounding counties. So um, these are fascinating ideas, and I am going to be interested in what we make of those things. Is there any research on transmission in wastewater that you noted, that you've noticed so far? I know that that's a question, and I have not seen an answer yet. Okay. Um, so the thing is that with the, the kind of testing we're doing is looking for messenger RNA, which is the genetic material in the SARS-CoV-2. And the presence of messenger RNA does not mean the presence of live virus. So there's a fair amount of virus in, in feces, and I don't know that we've documented that it's live and that we can actually uh, isolate it. I am not seeing evidence that this is being transmitted the way a, a, what we call a fecal-oral virus gets transmitted, so we're not seeing it spread the way, say, cholera spreads, which is primarily spread through feces. Um, but we, I don't know whether we would know whether you know 1% of cases are coming from feces and not from respiratory droplets. So, um, yeah, that's a great question, and we don't know. And did you want to talk at all about, um, in our last few minutes, the, the U.S. Navy and the CDC joint study uh, with the sailors, the 400 sailors, or save oh, up for yeah. another so, day? <laughs> um, so it turns out that um, 60% of the 400 sailors tested on the aircraft carrier had positive antibodies. So not that many people got sick. And so we're going to presume that most of the people who are testing positive antibodies must have had asymptomatic infections. And I, do, do you remember what they were predicting was the possibility of, like, the percentage of asymptomatic cases? It, was, it would have to be a lot. Hmm. So I guess they were going to test 1,000 volunteers. Oh, but they only tested 400, and 60% of them tested positive for COVID antibodies. I don't know how many of those um, had had tested positive for the COVID virus when they were looking for it in their noses. So it's an interesting thing that that um, ship got a lot of herd immunity, like 60% is what we're thinking is the minimum to get herd immunity. Um, but now I guess that now when... Navy ships are cruising, they have to wear masks all the time, which, you know, I'm all for wearing masks, but I really love when I can take it off um, uh, when I'm not in a store or mm -hmm. in face-to-face -face with a patient. And the thought of wearing it 24-7 would be, is actually daunting to me. Yeah, me too. That would yeah. be, especially as the summer months are rolling in. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yesterday <laughs> I was having a little panic about having a hot flash with the mask on. Mm. But, um, so Thursday, so tomorrow, Jenny Chadwick will be hosting, and she will have community member Lindsay Smith on, and they are going to be um, clarifying what questions they still have. And I'm going to be listening and taking notes because I don't think I have any of the answers, but it fascinates me to know what other people's questions are. And then uh, Thursday, Sarah Williams will be back, and we're going to be talking about harm reduction and uh, risk uh, modulation and, you know, sort of moving from that where either locked down or we're doing all the things, like how do we start to evaluate the, um, the relative risks of things? Great. Looking forward to both of those conversations. Yeah. Wednesday and Thursday. I think we're going to end up with, a, 
Yeah, a lot more uncertainty than certainty, but we're going to keep walking it through until we can mm-hmm. shift that a little. Mm-hmm. And um, do you want to tell our listeners what you have coming up on your Health Matters this week? Yes. So tomorrow night is your Health Matters is a recorded interview with Nzinga Harrison, who is one of the most um, high-energy, on-fire clinicians I've talked to in a long time. She is an addiction specialist, and she will convince you that addiction is a disease, just like diabetes is, and that we should be treating it more like a disease and talking about relapse as a relapse of a disease and not as a moral failing of Mm -hmm. a person. Yeah. Great. And what time is that? 6 p.m. tomorrow? That is 6 p.m. tomorrow. Yep. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks. thanks for joining us today, Dr. Alleman. You're welcome. Thank you, Mallory. Bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. You can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. and later in the day at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. As always, we want to know what questions, comments, and insights you have related to coronavirus. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email gm gm at kopn.org. That's gm at kopn.org. Up next, we have an abridged version of background briefing. Stay tuned and thank you for listening to KOPN 89.5, your volunteer run, listener supported community radio station. Have a great day.